0: Well shall we dispense with the pleasantries and just get into it? Do I need an introduction? My name is Dave, how's it going? Okay. Um, I saw them setting up lunch so I'm gonna kinda of do the accelerated uh, part of this and then later on if there's some part that you missed or whatever just meet me after there and we'll, uh, I'll be uh, recovering from the session out there in the green area out there in the field. So, So today I shall endeavor to answer a couple of these questions that you come across. Anyone who makes stuff Uh, everyone once in a while runs up against creative blocks, yeah? Everyone? Fair enough, right? And what I've found in years of doing this stuff is you can start to understand your creative process and break down the creative process into its discrete components. Then you can harness that energy later on and bring it, uh, bring it around and grab that when you need it. So to kind of chart this through, last year I did this big grand sweeping covering thousands of years from the pyramids forward to uh, publishing. This pro- this time I'm going to go through a project um, which is more like a four-year span, a little bit of a microcosm of the creative process. And I've divided this into, oh, and it's called Letters from Russia, and you'll know all about that by the end of it. So this story starts in uh, Belize. And I ended up in Belize. Actually, I have a picture of Belize. And I had this kind of weird situation, right? You know, I'd always kind of done my own thing. And I had this internet company uh, with uh, Jay, you know, the unabonger. He's not here this year. But uh, we sold a big evil phone company. And uh, after a couple months on this job working for this new company, they called me into the office. And this big meeting had the VP of human resources came up from Santa Rosa to talk, said, uh, Dave, there's been uh, accusations from the community that you were uh, smoking marijuana at the golf tournament. And if anyone's ever played golf, it's the only way to make golf interesting, right? So I was like, well, duh, you know. No, I didn't say that. They said, we want you to go take this test and here's these forms and we've got to come back and made this big production of it. I was like, wow, are you kidding me? So uh, I decided I didn't want to do the test, so I went and talked to a lawyer. I wrote them a letter, and I had the lawyer write a letter. I had them timed, so just as the VP was coming back from his Christmas vacation, they would be right on his desk. And that same day that those letters were set to arrive, um, I was on the plane to Belize. This is Belize. And, uh, it was right around Christmas time, right? And I was like, oh, man, i got to get out of town. I felt like all, like, clandestine, like I should be writing a screenplay about this. Disgruntled.com, where it kind of splits to Belize. And I was like, I didn't know where to go, but I came across a ticket and it popped up on the thing that said $420 to Belize. I was like, bye. And I was like, I wonder, wonder where Belize is. So I get off the plane, right? And uh, um, I get off the plane in Belize City, and I'm like, oh, where do I go now? And I find this little charter airline going to Key Cocker. Uh, you know, Key, like, island, they spell it C-A-Y-E. Anyway. Um. Uh, and I end up in this place I found this I check in here late at night and it was dark and I didn't really know what it looked like And it was like eight bucks, and I was like sure and I go in the little cabin I wake up the next day, and this is it. I'm like, oh fuck me, man. I'm staying here So I went in and told the guy I'm gonna stay for a while But here's the deal I'm gonna pay you but you have to tell me after I've been here nine days So I remember to leave because you know my going to be gone and then all of a sudden my life's a Jimmy Buffett song I'm stuck in Belize or something like that so before I went on this trip um you know, I'm traveling late because I got my backpack and I'm on the go, but I decided it would be a good idea to take an enormous volume of War and Peace with me. Apparently they make this in paperback now, but, you know, if you're going to sit on the porch, if you're going to sit right here on this chair, you might as well have a proper volume to do it, right? And I'd always heard about War and Peace, and I'm trying to always be like that literary smart guy that can like name drop stuff and conversations. So I was like, oh, I better read War and Peace. It turned out it was the perfect book for the perfect time, as often happens. And... Um, if any of you have read it, blah, 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 big long story, there's a lot of war and a lot of peace, but the, the, <laughs> the, the gist of it is, it's Napoleon's army going into Russia and the Russians, rather than trying to fight back, they gave up Moscow and let them burn down Moscow and they went out and sort of just took it easy and they said, don't worry, the Russian winter's going to come in, and sure enough, all the French folks were wiped out and they had this big dramatic retreat, um, but the gist of it was about the patience and time being your ally. And since since this is such an important part, even though I'm doing the condensed version of this, actually what I'll do is I have two versions of the little important part from um, War and Peace that was the critical bit of this whole project for me. I have the actual literary version from Tolstoy, and that's about, well that's about a page long, but then there's the one from the Hollywood version, should I just read that one because it's a little shorter? Okay, since we're pressed for time, and you know, lunch and everything, but I thought before I put that on, you know, it'd probably be appropriate if I got a little bit more. You know, when you're reading War and Peace, you got to be wearing a smoking jacket, I think. <laughs> Might as well take off my hat now, too, you know, since we're all friendly now. I'm indoors. I'll leave it open for now. All right, so here's the Hollywood uh, version. Um, this is General Kutuzov, and uh, there's a big meeting. They're deciding whether we should retreat from uh, Moscow. Russia's ancient and sacred capital? Allow me to tell you, Your Excellency, that that question has no meaning for a Russian. Such a question cannot be put. It's senseless. The question I've asked you and these gentlemen to meet and discuss is a military one. The question of saving Russia. Is it better to give up Russia without a battle or, by accepting battle, lose the army as well as Moscow? Not quite as... Beautiful is the Tolstoy version, but a little bit more direct. Well, gentlemen, I see I am the one who has to pay for the broken crockery. Tolstoy definitely didn't write that line. <laughs> gentlemen, I've heard your views. Some of you may not agree. But for I, by the authority entrusted in me by my sovereign and the order, I order a retreat. Then he says to himself, time and patience, patience and time. The grand army is wounded, but is it mortally wounded? An apple should not be plucked while it's green. Patience and time. And I was like, wow, that's perfect, because that's, that's totally what I'm doing. I'm like using some patience and time to let the heat die down there in Belize. And, uh, and as it turned out, so I, after like nine days, and I'm hanging out at this place, and he tells me to leave. I leave and even this island's great, because they only have golf carts on the island. They don't actually have any cars, so it's all nice and quiet all the time. And I get home, and they realize that uh, instead of firing me, they've decided to take a coaching strategy. They offered me counseling, drug rehab counseling, <laughs> instead of, uh, instead of uh, firing me. And I was like, and then they say, but we want you to not tell anyone. So immediately I went out and told everyone, right? <laughs> So this really got me thinking, because right around the same time as this, and reading this War and Peace. Um, the US was starting a war in, in, uh, against abstract nouns, and they're going into uh, to Iraq. And I was like, Yo, what I learned in this is you don't do a war on, in a foreign place. You've got to have home field advantage, home ice advantage, right? It helps. Hockey fans, yeah, home ice advantage, a little bit better. So you don't go somewhere else to play in their territory. They've already, they know all the shortcuts they're hunkered in. And I saw the US getting into the same um, kind of situation. I was like, wow, the parallels are uncanny. Then I happened across on a CNN, Condoleezza Rice, they're talking about Condoleezza Rice. She's brilliant, she's read War and Peace in original Russian. I'm like, well, apparently she didn't get the fucking point of it. Maybe we should send her another copy, right? Because it's the whole thing, you're falling in the trap. And then, John, if you'll indulge me, um, then some crazy shit happened. My brother, Bob, uh, uh, called me up and he was like, uh, and he had called me a few months before and asked me like a bunch of stuff like, um, you know, I'm a dual citizen, right? And he had asked me for my social security. I he said he was going to send me some subscription. And he like gave me some line, right? Then he calls me up and he's like, Dave, I've joined the Navy. I'm like, so I do the joke, you know, Canada has a Navy? What, two canoes or something? And he was like, no, no, the US Navy. And I'm going to Iraq. I'm like, fuck off. You're kidding me. And this is Karma's funny way of biting me in, in, in the ass. You have to all this anti-war pacifism stuff I've done. Now my brother's going off voluntarily to go do this stupid war, right? So I was really stressed about this and really concerned because I'm kind of a softy and all that. And, uh, you know, I was like, what can I do about this? And I was living in Olympia, Washington at the time, and people were out there on the street corners protesting every Friday night. The young Rachel had died, so there's more protests and all this hate. And I just decided, well, you know... What I do is I make my little projects so, and share them with people. So I should do that instead of stand out in the street corner. Because who, you know, if I'm going to be out at night, I'm going to have a bevy in my hand. And you can't do that with the protest sign. You spill it and, and all that, right? So I decide, you know, fuck me. I'm a writer. I better just put this down and I'm going to make some kind of statement. But who's got the time, right? You know, you got a day job. You got stuff to do. And then a really crazy situation happened. I didn't know what uh, slide to. Um, Put up here because the pictures from this incident were really horrible see I had this house and I rented it out to these um, to these uh, evergreen students which everyone told me was a bad idea and sure enough it was and not only were were they a disaster but then the um, the city plumbing backed up and there was a well let's just say there was a shit flood this deep in the basement of the house right and I just remodeled this house and I come back from this vacation I get the call the tenants are all like oh my god there's shit coming in through the bounce ah, yeah! they're all freaking out I was like what do I gotta do now? I'm not a handy dude. I just finished remodeling this house. It Took years off my life, and then I had to go back and remodel this whole thing. I was gonna put a picture up here of all the shit on the ground, but really looking at it, I started to like well up with tears and think of all the time I wasted in that. So instead, I put the letter, uh, if take me over one, John. Um, oh, that's not the right one. Can you go one more? Ah, uh, here it is. Okay, so while I was cleaning up, I found this note that this, this guy's uh, friends had left to him. And it's maybe hard to say, but I'm just gonna say, but dude, you're kind of a spoiled brat. Not saying I don't love you, but dude, you're really lucky. You have a good family. Blah blah blah. Stop wasting your time. I have to say this: you are a cokehead. And I was like, oh my god, <laughs> here I am. Years of creativity and years of striving, traveling the world, and here I am cleaning up shit from leftover from these cokeheads. I'm like, oh my god. And I was really getting stressed about saying, so okay, what I got to do is I got to harness all this time, this mental downtime I have here doing this. Oh, I'm. And, and make it into something. So I started to think, oh, well, you know, I've got this thing that's driving me nuts. My brother's going off to war. There's this is horrible war going on. I've read this war and peace and I just went through this battle. What can I make out of this thing? So while I was there scrubbing and cleaning, it took about six fucking weeks, um, I, uh, um, I thought about what I wanted, what what the fundamental problems are that I was trying to sort out and it was like I had to figure out what really is conscience objection, what is pacifism and what's the fundamental, because we all know as humans are always fighting each other, how am I going to solve all these problems that people have tried to solve for years and I didn't exactly come up with, with the thing but I realized that I had some point of view on it um, and I, what I really realized though is by letting your subconscious sort of mull over these things, and it's sort of mental downtime. That's where the fermentation, right? Anyone ever brewed beer, right? There's a lot of work up front, but then you sort of let it hang out and do its thing. And I find that that's kind of the case with ideas. You start thinking about this thing, it's like, all right, I want to write something about that covers this, this, and this, and these topics. Let me stick that back here, so while I'm shoveling the shit and filling it up in the back of the pickup truck, not the actual shit. I, I did hire someone to do the actual shit, shit part. Actually, you have to, by law, they come in the bio suits. It was like, should have made a film about it, is what I should have um, and what I realized, John, if you'll go back one slide for me, that this tension is a critical part of the creative process. This is one I was going to put an inspirational slogan on here, right? But I, I, I didn't have anything. Um, um, the tension is a critical part. After all this resistance to saying, if only I had spare time, I would write this fantastic novel. I would write War and Peace Part 2. But I'm here shoveling the shit up. I can't actually do that. And what I realized is that this time that I was doing this, this grunt work was really the time that the real work was happening in, in my head. And this tension is a key part of the creative process. If you have all the time in the world to do something, what are you going to do? Are you going to get up every day at 8 o'clock and clunk out 500 words, 1,000 words, 5,000 words? If you got money in the bank, I've got all kinds of time. Do you see the idle rich getting a lot of creative work done? Right. You need this tension. And like the kite, as you can see in this kite string, if you were to snip the kite string, snip. Would the kite soar higher? No, no, it would tumble to the ground. All right. So out of that came my new um, uh, uh, formula, and I should have made a Venn graph for this. If Someone wants to draw one or something, they can. Or some kind of something for a chart. You can name it whatever you want. Um, There's the old saying that people say, like, uh, you know, success comes from 20% inspiration and 80% perspiration. Okay, that's totally wrong. It comes from 80% meditation and 20% execution. Actually, the execution, we're gonna go 10% execution and 10% inebriation. <laughs> so there's, there's, the new, there's your new breakdown, 80, 10, 10. And those pieces all come together um, uh, to, to create your thing if you prepare yourself. Do you want me to skip forward two for me? Which is the next part. Hold on, let me just get a sip of water. Going fast here, hanging with me, we all right? Yes? Um, can you hit me at the end of it? Sure. Okay. Um, <laughs> yowza. <laughs> Pressure's on now. All right, I'm taking off the coat. I'm unbuttoning the shirt. Stakes have been raised. So then it comes to execution. To execute a creative project in a fast period of time, you need to put yourself first in a good environment to do it. You have to prepare yourself to be in that environment. Go ahead and hit the slide. In my case, it was a class out at Evergreen College. They had this poets and philosophers discuss war and love and war, something like that, right? The code name really for this this class was Getting Drunk with Evergreen Faculty, but you're not allowed to say that publicly, right? But you load up with a bunch of people, and you go up for a week, and you do these workshops and everything like that. And I thought it was going to be all like, intellectual, beautiful love time. And the guy comes to pick me up that I was sharing a ride with, pulls up, he's got his speedboat behind him, three Coors ca- cases of Coors Light, and a gun right there in between the front seats. I was like, wow, peace and love, man, all right, peace and war. We're going up there to sort it all out. And, but what this did is it gave me an environment where I could really start doing the real work on this. I better, uh, here, gonna put this here for you? Okay, you can wear it if you want for the rest of the, um And I had to kind of change my work process a little bit. Um, from what I usually do, because I, you know, I, uh, you know, I really wanted to be a writer after reading Salinger and Jack Kerouac, and it's just like lay it down and just freeform it out, just rock it out. But I realized with this project to execute it successfully, I would really have to take a little bit of a different um, approach. So as I started down that that path, I had to sort of figure out what that was going to look like. And this is actually Lake Crescent where I had that, but I didn't have a picture of Lake Crescent, so I put in a picture of my ass instead. But I wrote a little bit of poetry about the Lake Crescent experience. If you could hit the next slide. Um, and I'm not going to read this now, but you can see it's copied directly from a blog. So if you search for that, you'll probably find out I have a poetry blog that no one ever reads. Um, so maybe if, I by telling you that. What's that? Oh, yes, they do. Oh, okay. Thank you. I'm one fan out there. Thanks, Dad. So I realized I had to take a little bit of a different ap- approach for this thing and use my time to its maximum. So I loaded up this very same suitcase with a bunch of paper and pens, because I realized I wasn't going to be writing this on a laptop or a p- typewriter. I wanted to write this thing as letters, because I'd never seen anyone do that. It just seemed to sort of fit the form, right? Because I put together this plot of how I was going to address this this story, and I needed some sort of short-form way to do it, because people don't go to war and sit there and like, so here I am dying. Well, some of them do, but um, <laughs> it, it's hard to really, imagine people out there in the military battle writing things. So I thought the the immediacy of the letter form was was really important for that. But I also needed to kind of determine the voice and and how I was going to execute that. So uh, go ahead and hit me there. So I decided I had to put some scaffolding around this writing project. Like I said, usually I just sort of lay it down. So I started to put some note cards. And I thought I had them with me in the magic tickle trunk here, but I've evidently forgotten them. But I took a bunch of note cards. Are they in there? Nope. And I started to plot down the topics that I wanted to address and then started to match them up with historical dates and places. So I got all my books about the czars and Russian history and I had them all in my suitcase. And I started to plot out where these battles actually happened, the route that they took through Russia, Prussia, and Austria, and what the dates actually were. So it should be sort of some plausible excuse, you know, some sort of thing. So I took these note cards and I sort of plotted it out and I started of plotted out to like 14 letters. And the things on there, you know, that I wanted to address, trade economics, um, you know, life uh, in camp, the interactions between the the people, and and a whole of these different uh, philosophical points that the character wanted to bring up. But because I didn't really usually write like that, I wanted to, I needed to invent some characters. And sometimes, you know, if you're doing creative writing, it's, it's easy to get hung up on, like, oh, I don't have the right name, I just can't see the characters. So I said, you know, they're French, where do you get French names? And... I said, you go to the Stanley Cup. So I started thinking about all my favorite hockey players. They all named all the characters after uh, the Montreal Canadiens. and then, uh, but like he's writing letters to this woman. I'm like, what should her name be? I'm like trying to think of uh, women's names. Helen, you know. I'm trying to think back to eighth grade French class. I'm not coming up with anything. And there was a guy at the camp, and His name was Twinkle. You know, this was Evergreen College, right? So there's a lot of guys with like names like Twinkle. And uh, <laughs> and and we're there, part of the thing. And there was a group of forestry students. Here we are in the forestry building. And yet there was uh, arborists or something staying in the next little group of cabins over. And he brings this chick over into the campfire. Hey, you want you guys want to meet Jean Vieux? My- Damn, that's the name, all right, I've got my characters. So Jean Vieve it was. So I had started, um, um, you know, figuring out what was gonna be in in these letters, but I needed to actually start and and write them because I wasn't writing on a laptop. I needed to actually like sit down and write in cursive and think about what I'm gonna write before I write it, which is, again, kind of a strange standpoint. So in order to get to that, that zone, I started thinking, ooh, what he could do is he could do some little doodles along the way too, he could do some little drawings. I might as well get this out. I was going to say this. Oh, there's the cards. All right. So here's the cards I made up for each of the little uh, scenes in the in the book. See? And as I'd write about them, crossed them out there. And actually what I did is I strung these along a piece of clothesline and clipped them up so I could uh, sort of see them all in order. And then I had to practice writing and coming up with the names. And I drafted a, f- a few different letters as I tried to come up with the tone of voice. and have this cool old-timey paper. But finally, I left the camp. Um, I yes, some little maps, drew a little map myself there to sort of figure out what I was doing. So, once I had my names and my characters, um, I started doing these little sketches to figure out what it really would feel like. And I started to build this folklore and this culture around it so I could really start creating the letters. But what I really realized is I needed some more um, mm, philosophical underpinnings to really make this thing important, you know? I started writing the letters, and I started with the easiest ones first, the ones I, didn't, I thought I didn't have to go as deep into. And then, I, uh, so I finished up at this, this camp, I had kind of my, my draft done, and I knew what I wanted it to look like with these these letters and and, uh, and little drawings because like I'd gone to the, Amst- the Van Gogh Museum in Amsterdam and I saw these and I said, damn, I want to make something cool like that. You know, I, I figure I should keep my uh, you know expectations in check. You know, Tolstoy, Van Gogh, just knock those guys off, right? No big deal. Yeah. I like I like the audacity of just putting that right next to each other. Yeah. So, um, so soon after this camp, we went on a little family vacation, and uh, here's my hero shot. There, isn't that awesome? Look at me. And uh, any of you go on vacation, you think your vacation should be two weeks to leave me the fuck alone because I want want to do some stuff, and the rest of your family thinks, no, it's two weeks of family fun time. (laughs) So it's always that little bit of tension, but my family indulged me while I sat on the beach uh, reading Tolstoy's Physiology of War to get really the details of how the battles happened and all this kind of stuff. And then uh, I went back to Jean-Jacques Rousseau's um, The Social Contract. This is one of the most important books that really defines how we operate as civilizations here in the, in the modern days. This was a big precursor to the French Revolution. Americans don't uh, uh, talk about it much, but the French also had a revolution, and, uh, <laughs> and in here Jean-Jacques Rousseau talks about, we humans shouldn't be subservient to kings, and but we also have responsibilities to each other and to our society, but we also have responsibilities to, to ourselves, to go out and be ourselves, and be as weird as we want, and follow our, our, our vices, which he outlines in great detail, especially in his book, Confessions, whew, scandalous. Uh, <laughs> And this was a really big revolutionary document to the French and uh, throughout the world. And at this, uh, you know, at the same time, there was a lot of tension about, um, you know, just like with the U.S. going and invading these other countries, a lot of people in France started wondering, so why is it that we're following Napoleon going to all these, these uh, foreign countries and stuff? So I went back to these books to kind of make sure I had a real strong um, historical record behind it. And then sat down on the beach, and each day I would go out and write one and only one letter. And I would take in my little rucksack, I'd take a little lunch, I'd take a couple pieces of paper, and then a couple of little, uh, uh, you know, supplies for, for painting, and I'd head up there and I'd do my, uh, do my letters, right? And that would kill the day. I kept on sp- trying to figure out the best way to sp- spell Geneviève, because like, I'd heard the name, but I didn't actually know how to spell it. Is it J or a G? Where does that little accent go? I don't know, right? <laughs> so there's a few things that I was like, still struggling with this thing, but I was like, oh, they'll all work themselves out in time, right? My job is to just kind of knock it out. So there, in Manzanita, um, in my head right there, you can see the little thought bubble saying, it's really cold here in Russia, and the people are beginning to kill each other, right? <laughs> glad you don't go on vacations with me, right? You thought I was all fun-loving. Yeah. Okay, so uh, hit it up there. So this is what the letters kind of look like. That's the one, see, I still can't spell jean Viev. And I started, as I was writing the letters, I realized there's even more parallels. As I started writing this letter, I was like, September 11th, 1812, the big battle of Borodino. Holy shit, that's a, kind of an auspicious date, isn't it? So the thing is, more I got into it, the more I started learning. And I, you know, I'm a printer and a typer, you know? And so I sort of went back to writing cursive because it slowed me down, because with only two pages, you can knock that out really quick. So by slowing it down, delivery kind of added to that. Okay. So, the other thing that happened is, um, Bob went to Iraq and he was having a great time. (laughs) The only stuff I'd hear from him was like, oh man, I just flew up on uh, one of those Black Hawk helicopters and hung out the Slovakian, man, they have the best beer at the Slovakian base. I'm like, come on, you're part of the machine, you bought in, man. What's going on? And here he is. oh yeah, we all take pictures here on Saddam's throne. We were in there running conduits of cables up along the marble walls. Yeah, we were just drilling these things in. (laughs) I was like, oh no, it's happened, it's happened. So, and I started wondering what happens, what, what makes decent peace-loving people turn into this, these kind of machines of war. And I realized that was something really important that had to come into this. And I had to really show these characters in transition. And the thing, so I had to, I, what I did and sort of, as I went through it, I started to add in some other characters. That I started to name, there was the Italian painter named after my neighbor, Eugenio. You know, I had to go outside of hockey to get an Italian name or whatever. But I started to bring in these other characters to sort of represent these other archetypes of people who decide, like, okay, we're in this war, I might as well make the best of it, too. I'm actively resisting, to, um, you know, all the different viewpoints that you come across when you put in those situations. So I did my little paintings, and it was sort of like to add something and put me in that meditative uh, point of view um, and sort of show his progression as, uh, as he traveled along, but we're not going to get more into those now because I want to get to the part about distribution here really quick. Blah, 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 they're beautiful, aren't they great? Okay. Distribution. Hold on, one more sip of water. One sip per section. So, anyone who's come to my uh, other sticks know that I all, I have like, every time the suitcase is filled with more um, chapbooks and things that I make one of and then I don't have any way to distribute them. I've been doing that since I was a little kid. I've never figured out this problem, this, this part of the puzzle, right? I never really cared to, but then I, it's kind of like a, a drag only having one of these things, and it's like it's like what's sitting there on my shelf like this, it's like, wow, cool, it's this big thing, and I made it. You know, and uh, who else could see it, right? So I started to think about, like, all right, what do I do with this thing? And hit me up, because I graduated from college. It does graduated from Evergreen. The clock usually says 420, but... Um, <laughs> Nice jacket, eh? a little Don Cherry-inspired thing there. So I graduated. What do I do with this thing now? People always tell me about, oh, you send it around to publishers, and then you sit there and wait for six months, and then you have a demoralizing letter arrive in your mailbox that makes you never want to write again. I could do that. <laughs> That's an option. Or. Uh, um, or I could do the thing that um, happens with most of my other projects, which is I put them in a folder, and I label the folder, and then I put that folder in a box, and I put that box there in the closet, and I let it ferment for, like, I don't know, 20 years. I mean, some of that stuff that I've been pulling out recently uh, for my presentation, is like, oh, wow, I haven't seen that since 1983, you know? So, uh, but that kind of sucks, because I'm, you know, I'm getting too old for that. Like, I should be starting to spread the stuff out there, so what do I do? So, uh, I started remixing my own work, right? Because uh, might as well... See what, I, what else I can do with it. So I do this little literary podcast that maybe two or three people. Stephen, you listen to my literary podcast? There we go. There's one. Is there a second? Didn't think so. All right. So, I subscribe? <laughs> hey, a subscriber. <laughs> I, thousands of people listen to the Canucks one, right? The literature one? It's dozens. Yeah, let's just say that. So I started making these things and, and seeing really is this worthy of sending out? Because I had a lot of anxiety about it. Dude, I, I'm not a military historian. How could I possibly send this out to the world without fact checking this and doing all this stuff? And I'm not really all that great of a writer. Here I am, uh, you know, trying to emulate Henry David Thoreau and Jean Jacques Rousseau and Fuck am I, you know? Come on, dude. So I was like, all right, I'll make these little podcasts. And I went down on Remembrance Day, and my brother was just out there at the war, and I had my white poppy on to say I'm a pacifist. And I get down there, and it turns out, like, the Monday that was the holiday wasn't actually the the 11th, right? They'd done all the hoopla with all the bagpipes and all the stuff the day before. So there I was on the Monday the day off. I was down there at uh, the park by myself hanging out. (laughs) (sighs) perfect timing. And of course, you know, because I don't go anywhere without a backpack full of books, I had a bunch of books there. So I said, oh fuck, I'll sit down here and record. So I started recording all the stuff that had kind of gone into this Letters from Russia project. All the throw and the UN uh, Declaration of Human Rights and all these different influences. And I made this whole little podcast series that I then burned on disk and I sent it off to my brother in Iraq. who's like, yeah, I keep on meaning to listen to that still, like he's been home for two years now. And still, i am going to get around to listen to that, right? <laughs> I try, I try. So I made this little series of podcasts that none of you will probably ever listen to, except for Steven, thank you. And then uh, hit me up, John. Um, And then I sort of just let it sit there for a while. I made a PDF, I threw it up on uh, the website, and just so I wouldn't find it, because I figured if I don't let Google know where my stuff is, I'll never find it again, right? Because, you know, where do you put stuff, right? So um, I just let it sit there for for really a year or two, maybe longer. And then one day I get a call, uh, an email, or whatever. from some ladies in California have a radio show. We'd love to have on our literary radio show from Santa Cruz, California, because we found your thing. We finally tracked you down. We've been looking for you for months, trying to find you know how many Dave Olsons there are. And uh, we'd love to have you come on our show. I'm like, fuck off, are you kidding me? All <laughs> right, Yeah, you because know, I go on the radio and talk about Canucks. Not very often for, you know, epistolatory uh, handwritten letters about the French Revolution. Doesn't come up too much, right? So, I realized that I'd already, you know, all this stress about like, what do you do with this thing? I'd already done something with it. And I realized that while well, I sat on my couch here with my vaporizer and the bong just in case the power went out, um, talking to these ladies from California who were like, no, no, do, do you mind if I read this next letter? <laughs> no, no, look, as I sip on my wine, no, no, dear, go ahead. Yes, yeah, so and they had me on for an hour and a half on this radio show. I'm like, wow, this is fantastic. I actually have built something out of this. and. And I was like, well, that's pretty cool. And then nothing happened again. And then I got some, ooh, then I got these, uh, an angry comment suddenly came to one of these things. And it said, uh, where is he? Hmm. Which one is it? Are these letters authentic? Please respond promptly and honestly. I really need to know ASAP. Thank you. Okay, now, I'm no forensic CSI investigations, right? right, but I thought the fact that there's only ever one word in French, the che, you know, whatever, in French, that would be a giveaway, you know, the, uh, I don't know, there's a lot of things, there's got to be some, the guy's a cobbler in the French army writing this literary discourse back to his girlfriend, I mean, the whole thing is a ruse, right, I'm like, duh, and the fact that it only exists on one place on the internet, which is some professional stoner's blog, right, so, <laughs> um, <clears throat> So, and then he comes back, you know, and says, I enjoy military history and literature when I stumble across these letters while doing some research of my own. I made the now obvious mistake of believing them to be authentic. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Woo, military historian, huh? I absolutely absolutely treasured them for months. (laughs) And even did further research in an attempt to discover if Henri, named after Henri Richard, he's the guy from Letters in Russia, (laughs) had survived the French retreat. (laughs) And in doing so, found your podcasting website, you asshole. Um, (laughs) I was very disappointed to discover that they were fictional. Oh, sorry, but I wrote them back a really nice thing. I've made these out of, you know, blah, 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 whatever, right? I wrote them back. And then, so he keeps on, and it's like he starts putting comments everywhere. I have just learned, shocking, dun, 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 that these letters are not authentic. And I feared as much. More should have been done to make this clear. This project seems to, be, seems to me to be nothing more than a well-written prank. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I said, right? Hit me up, John. Oh, yeah, there it is. There's a spiel, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you can find it on the Internet. And what I realized is, as Lieutenant Magnum, as I started calling my brother, because he once he grew the mustache and he was a right regular Lieutenant Magnum PI fans. All right, Lieutenant Magnum. He started sending me his pictures back from, from Iraq, and I said, you know, he's in Iraq, and he may not have the best looking fans and friends, but he's got friends, right? And I got people reading this thing. It's a well-written hoax, but damn it, someone's reading it, right? And last year, at the end of this Fuck Stats Make Art one, someone asked, uh, is, it, is the important part publishing the thing or having created the work? And I sort of wrestled back and forth with that, and then I realized what the answer was. The answer is what makes a work important is giving it an audience. The audience breathes life into the work, and it allows it to become something that when what you created. By putting it out there, anyone can now take it and absorb it and go and do this historical research. And going around <laughs> their friends, was he knocking on doors? How do you start on research like that, right? Do you start in Google Henri Richard? What are you going to come up with, right? You're going to come up with that. So I'm not sure what he was doing, but he was doing something. And those girls in California were doing something with it, right? So I was like, wow, I better start doing something again, so I realized I had no idea where the original document was, like the, you know, the, all I had was the PDF. And so I had to go back to the, the Google HTML archive of my own work to then grab it to then put it in the blog, and I was like, wow, I'm remixing my own work unintentionally and having to rely on the artifacts that the internets and the cultures developed from my own work in order to even play with my own work. So go ahead and hit me up. Um, now, so I did another step, and this is the missing part, I looked, oh! I looked around for this this morning, I sent it into Chronicle Books, and I got my first rejection letter, um, but I didn't find the letter, but, okay, I'm finished up really quick, Travis, I didn't find the letter, but I found the Darth Drupal stickers some guy was asking about last night, so if you were the guy who was asking about these, <laughs> you know, I got home at two in the morning, I'm fumbling through the room trying to find this rejection letter, but the gist of it is, and Monique will back me up, because I told you this anecdote earlier, so, um, uh, and usually the, the letters are, are pretty terse or whatever. They sent me a nice letter that said, we feel these letters are very important, but are not publisher as, publishable as they stand now because it's too short to make something out of. In other words, they should be signposts in a bigger project, so go write a novel and let us know. I'm like, oh, fuck man, more work? Come on! I just got to the point. It took me an appendectomy. It was during the appendectomy recovery that I finally put it together as a PDF, put some pictures in it and sent it off to him. It's going to take me another four years to even start thinking about writing a, a thing. So, and plus I don't know where, to, where do I take it and I realize that that's also where the audience and the culture comes in and by sending this thing out and sharing it with folks like you, you read it and you interact with it and you start to engage with different characters and you start to discover different things and you start remixing it and you start reading and you start telling it as bedtime stories. So, to, uh, to fulfill that full loop of Given it a culture and figuring out what to do next, I had to decide should I leave it here in this beautiful book made of hemp and wood and paper that only people who come to my house get to see? Or should I make it into this cold, impersonal PDF that all of you from today can go download from the internet and it's got the little pictures in there and the whole thing. And I laid it on the side and you can go to Kinko's and use their wood, their paper cutter and you can make your own little book and do something with it so it's arts and crafts time too. <laughs> so you can make your own little letters with it. So. With that, since it is lunchtime and I'm getting the time warning, hit me up. Uh, you can go find my uh, search for letters from Russia. You'll go find it. And you can go download the thing. I think I only have a link up there to the version without the little pictures in it. But there's a link up there. And this is all up there on the Internet. Um, that You can get the copy with the, your, the pictures in it for your own pleasure. And I would love to see you read it and make something out of it. So with that, I'm Dave. Thanks for coming.